High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Welcome, rollerbladers, roller skaters, inline skaters. You know who's not welcome today? Neo-Nazis. Nazis are never welcome on High School Slumber Party. The podcast for me and some friends look back at our teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school-centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and the party's at my place this evening. But first, school's still in session, your junior year is still in session, and we have some homework to chat about. This was your assignment, and I would like to see the results. Homework every week is to hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. And while you're there, give us a positive review. Give us a five-star rating. And while you're not there, tell a friend about all the great wonderful things that happen here on High School Slumber Party. Of course, you can catch up on your homework every week at our archive as well at cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Your other homework, and you've been doing a great job lately, I've appreciated it, is of course to participate. Class participation is a huge part of your grade. Participate. Let me hear from you on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Appreciate it, or you could always email at highschoolslumberparty at gmail.com. That is highschoolslumberparty at gmail.com. So we are deep, deep in the quagmire that is the Corey Films. I don't know why I said it like that, but the Corey Films, the two Corey's Films, Corey Feldman, Corey Haim. It's been fun. Mike Manzi's been my co-pilot on this, and we've had a blast. So your homework, of course, is to catch up on all the Corey episodes Let's see, on Friday, that was a fun one, we had a guest, Austin Wolf Southern was here, we talked the double O kid, really, really fun, and today your homework, of course, was to watch the film we're talking about today, it's on YouTube, guys, no excuse if you didn't do your homework, The Prayer of the Roller Boys, or Prayer of the Roller Boys, I don't think there's a the involved in there, but yeah, this movie was surprising, it was fun, it was easy to watch, a little violent, but we'll get into it more, just me and the Mikester, Mike Manzi, the third time's a charm man. Just the two of us today doing this one. And I really, really can't wait for you guys to hear this episode. But first, I did my homework. I made a promise to you guys that we'd bring back high school movie news. So I brought the man back himself. The original anchor is here, Ryan Rodriguez. So let's kick it to him for another segment of High School Movie News.
This is Brian Rodriguez with High School Movie News. I feel like it's been a while because it has been a while. Sorry, I've been doing a lot of catching up. A lot of teen movie news. Hard to get you caught up all today, but I'm going to try my best. Felt like we had to do this today because, whoa, there's been a lot of chatter online. Let's start here. Let's start with Dear Evan Hansen. People have sent me messages and asked me my opinion on this. So Dear Evan Hansen, very successful play here in my hometown of New York City. I know it traveled across the country. One of the big Broadway plays, not on Hamilton level, but close. One of the big Broadway plays in the last decade or so. Whatever. They're doing a movie because they have to adapt everything. More on that later. And Ben Platt, who won the Tony, he won the Tony at 23 for Dear Evan Hansen. He's reprising the role. Well, he's 27 now. He's aged a bit. And the internet is really, really getting on him and the filmmakers for casting him. I don't know where I stand on this one, to be completely honest with you. Look, if you're a fan of the show, we have the Cameron Fry Award here. Alan Ruck, I'll say it again, Alan Ruck was almost 30 when he played Cameron Fry, we see it in a lot of high school films, people in their late 20s playing high schoolers. The one thing I'll say about that, though, is that we're seeing a lot less of that lately, right? Or they'll do a good job of trying to conceal things. Maybe they screwed up with Dear Evan Hansen because he doesn't look that age. However, it's something where music is breaking out. It's a musical. It's hard to justify that, right? So, you know, use a little bit of suspension of your belief, please. I'll defend it a little in a sense, too, where... Okay, so The Prom, for example, the Netflix movie that we really kind of shit on, one of the reasons we shit on it was because they decided to just bring in Hollywood A-listers to be in the cast, and they forgot about everyone in the play. Well, Ben Platt originated this role, so it's a good way for the filmmakers to kind of, I don't know, thank him for it and give him a little treat. And you know it's going to be good if the play was good, right? I would hope he still has the performance inside of him. I don't know. So I get what everyone is saying. I get where everyone is coming from. I would have probably chosen a young teen actor. Here's a good example, right? It's not a young teen actor, but a good example of the right thing to do here. In the Heights, movie coming out. Not a teen movie, but I actually saw the play. This was the first real Broadway hit for Lin-Manuel Miranda, of course, of the aforementioned Hamilton. And the movie's coming out, and he's not the star anymore. He's given up the reins to Anthony Ramos, of course, Anthony Ramos. That's a good choice here. First of all, he's like his protege. Second of all, he's a really good actor. Third of all, you know, it's given someone else a shot. And he's in the movie in a much smaller role, Lin-Manuel, I'm saying. So maybe they could have done that with Ben Platt. I'm not sure. <laughs> the people aren't liking it. I hope it doesn't torpedo the movie. I never saw the play. I kind of was never interested in seeing the play. We're going to have to cover it for a high school slumber party. Maybe it's good. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah. So I'm not sure where I fall on it. I guess we'll have to watch the movie and see. But I get both sides of it. I know that might surprise you, but I do get both sides of it here. All right, second bit of news, Fear Street. Fear Street, you know, Fear Street is kind of like the more YA version or maybe like even college age, I'm not sure, I think it's more high school age, version of Goosebumps from R.L. Stein. It was, you know, big hit 
with the youth growing up. Kate Hudson, who's on our Twilight episodes, you all know Kate Hudson. She's a huge Fear Street fan. When I first messaged her about being on the show, that's the first thing she said back to me. She's like, oh, I'm a teen at heart. I have my entire Fear Street collection. So she'll be on all these Fear Street episodes. But I was shocked because Netflix is dropping these in July, like back to back to back. Three movies. I got to see if they're all teen related. I need to do a little bit more research. But Kate Hudson has agreed to be on all the episodes. So I really can't wait for that. By the way, if you hear something in the background, I've been reminding people every day, they are repairing the facade of my building, so you might hear construction. If you don't, I'm just crazy. <laughs> so look out for Fear Street, though. Next bit of news, Hocus Pocus 2. Everyone's excited about that, I think. Some people are like, and honestly, I'm one of them, did we have to remake it? The witches are dead. What's going on? But it's so beloved, and it's got a cult following. When I went to Salem... So many people were out in front of the house taking pictures. So many people wanted to know about the Sanderson sisters. I feel like when I was a kid, this movie wasn't as popular as it is now. If you're Disney+, Plus, you need subscribers. You might as well cash in. I hope it's good. I hope it's good, but it'll be out this Halloween. We'll definitely cover it as well. So many teen films. They brought all the sisters back, so yeah. And you know what? I have to check if that's a teen film, too. There hasn't been a lot of, uh, you know, announcements There hasn't been a lot of, there's not a lot of specifics when it comes to Hocus Pocus 2, so I don't know, maybe they're all adults, maybe they're all young children, (laughs) we'll see. So I'll amend that, High School Slumber Party will cover it if it is indeed a teen film. Next on the grand old list, just wanted to remind you guys that High School Slumber Party AP with Brian Rodriguez, the other Brian Rodriguez, and Island Addington. That airs once a month, the first Monday of the month. They cover teen films of the last couple years. So you want some reviews of some newer stuff? Definitely, definitely listen to that little spinoff here on the High School Slumber Party feed. And yeah, I mean, I can speak for Brian and say it's going really, really great. So check that out. They might have to cover some movies we talk about here on High School Slumber Party News. Who knows? Who knows? (laughs) One of the movies, though, like I bring it up because a lot of movies now are being distributed that came out in 2020. You know, there was that whole uh, Brian Rodriguez 2020 movie marathon, and they didn't include the things that were in film festivals that couldn't be streamed, right? So that's that ambiguous. Are they 2020 movies? Are they 2021 movies? But we'll count wide release. We'll say 2021. There's a movie called Spring Blossom that I really want to see. That's going to be distributed soon. Want to check that out. So if you guys see it, let me know what you think. And plenty of others in that same realm. Whew. More stuff, though. More stuff. Kissing Booth 3, August 2021. Shawnee and I, or Brian, whatever. I'm getting confused. I'm confusing myself. (laughs) We'll cover it here on High School Slumber Party. Unfortunately, they're still not in college yet for some reason. So we got to do it. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to ending it. It's a part three. I don't think Mike Manzi wants to be involved, but whatever. Kissing Booth 3. Last thing in my notes was this film called Plan B coming out on Hulu. So I have thoughts on it. It looks good. It looks fun. But I don't want to count Never Early Sometimes Always in this group. But yeah, that's a very serious, serious movie. But there was also this movie Unpregnant on HBO Max. And now Hulu has Plan B. It's not exactly an abortion, obviously, but it seems like, you know, two girls go and search for Plan B because of an accidental pregnancy. 
Great, great. I hope this doesn't become tired. Why I'm cutting these films slack is A, I've enjoyed them all so far, and B, no pun intended, B, I feel like they're catching up for like 30, 40, 50 years of not focusing on enough women-centric topics. So I'm actually really clear. So I'm actually... So I'm actually really curious to see Plan B, see what it's going to be like, see if it's good. If you guys watch it before me, let me know. But I hope like there's not 30 movies about the same subject because then they could all be great, but we're going to start to nitpick and we're going to start to say, not as good as this one, it's not as good as that one. Let the story stand out, let the story stand apart. And someone could also argue with me too, is like, yeah, so they're making these movies, but has any been a hit yet? That's a good point. Maybe we're waiting for that hit. I don't know. But I don't want any kind of negativity in my voice to sound like I don't want to see the movie or that I'm saying, let's not get these women-centric projects. Keep doing them. They're all great. I Again, I just want them to all succeed, so I get nervous. That's all. <laughs> I've talked your ass off today, so I apologize. This is Brian Rodriguez for High School Movie News. <laughs> What are you doing? No, 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 no. Sit back down. The bell doesn't dismiss you. I dismiss you. First of all, thank you, Brian Rodriguez, for that long yet informative segment on High School Movie News. But we have a lot to talk about today. We have a lot to do today. It mostly involves this glorious film, Prayer of the Roller Boys. So I'll cut you some slack. Whew. Pack your favorite jammies. Tell your mother you're sipping at Brian's because we're about to get our party on. I leave you with some song off the Prayer of the Roller Boys soundtrack. I don't know. I was going to say Prayer of the Roller Girls soundtrack. Kind of would rather see that movie. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, kidding. Well, maybe. I don't know. But something off the Prayer of the Roller Boys soundtrack. It's called King Swamp. That's the artist. And the song is called Blown Away. Class dismissed.
missed. <laughs> oh, oh boy, good, good, good to go. <laughs> I hope you don't do that. No, I that won't be good. I'm joking. <laughs> I hope you're off the mist. I don't want you to become sterile, Mike. Yeah, how crazy is that? <laughs> wow. This movie, this movie is interesting. It's uh, it's got a lot going on here beneath the surface that it's just alluding to. It has nothing to do with the rest of the movie. <laughs> of course, today I should I say of course, like you know this movie, but we are talking today, <laughs> the prayer of the roller boys. But before that, Mike, you have been my co-pilot on this mm-hmm. crazy two Corey series. We've been yeah. a lot of haim lately. Yeah. Introduce yourself again, and sure. let's get going. All right, uh, Mike Manzi, RHS, class of 97, go Maroons. And yeah, you know, last time we had a little help with Austin. We've been doubling down on Haim, but I have a feeling we're going to be uh, covering a bunch of Feldman coming up soon, so everyone's going to get fair coverage. Nobody worry about that. You know, I think I'm starting to realize I'm loyal to a fault uh, from time to time. Like, what? I thought I had, like, the training necessary to tackle, you know, every film in an actor's career, right? Like, did it with Cage, Keanu, (laughs) Charlize, Tom, Tom, like, so many, right? For some reason, like, the Corys are starting to chisel away. (laughs) They're finding the cracks, the chinks in the armors. I'm I'm starting to crush a little under the weight, Brian. It's getting to be kind of more intense than I expected. Well, we're going to some crazy places, and just the amount of them. Since we've talked, I've discovered more teenage Corey films. Again, we're not going to do all of them this year, but the fa- the fact that both these guys played teenagers for so long, for so many films, they had like a decade plus run where they were in multiple films a year. It's just insane. Yeah, truly remarkable stuff. <laughs> I thought I knew what I was getting into, and then, yeah, I've been discovering new things about like uh, the Double O Kid movie or whatever. I had never heard of that one before. Shame on me to a degree. <laughs> but, uh, you know, here we I've seen, I know this one, though. I think, you know, this was during those formidable years. Inline skates were only known as rollerblades, they were everywhere. I certainly had a pair. It was grunge season as well, so we'll see, you know. (laughs) I can't tell you, in retrospect, looking back, how much guys wanted to wear skirts, you know. I mean, we all had the plaid long sleeve tied around our waist on our blades with our bleached hair. Yeah, like, this captured a moment. (laughs) (laughs) For sure, for sure. Uh, This is, from my research, one of the first breakthroughs of Corey Haim to doing something that wasn't like, I'm the kind of innocent high schooler, like we saw in License to Drive. Oh, oh, speaking of License to Drive, which we covered two moments ago. So really quickly, Mike, I thought of a story that I should have told on that episode. Oh, okay, okay. I'm going to tell it quick here. I'm like, I can't believe I didn't tell this story. So little to Corey's segue, if you will. Uh, <laughs> License to Drive. Okay, infamously, or Famously, however you want to say, Heather Graham is in the trunk of a car for half the film, right? I was trying to think. I'm like, oh, my God, I have a kind of trunk of a car story. It's not the greatest story, but I feel like it has, I have to share because okay. it is it is a high school story. I was not in the trunk of a car. But it's applicable, too, because one of my good friends, David Rosen, so he has a birthday in the fall of 86, I have a birthday in the summer of 87. So we're in the same grade, but, you know, he's probably 10 months or so 
older than me. So he got his license way before I did and way before any of my other friends. And he got a car right away from his grandmother. This was, I don't know, early 2000s, but it was a 1994 Ford Escort. And if anyone knows like a Ford Escort, they're very, very like small, light cars. When he was in college, some of my other friends who went to college with him, in the middle of the night, they, they got the entire cross-country team. And mind you, the cross-country team, a lot of guys, but not strong guys. They literally picked up his car and moved it to the middle of the street. <laughs> that, <laughs> that's how like tiny and light this car was. And we wanted to do something so innocent. Maybe he got his license maybe a week or two. Not It wasn't a license to drive situation. It wasn't that night. But it was like a week or two into his license. We wanted to do something so innocent. We wanted to go out for ice cream. Right? But there were three, one, two, three, five other guys, plus me and my girlfriend and him, and a tiny Ford Escort. And at the time in New Jersey, you could only have like two or three passengers max. I forgot what it was. So we decide, hey, you know, it's close. We live in Ultapan. The ice cream place is in Westwood. Let's just, you know, pile up in this car. But two of my friends decided to get into the trunk of the car. To, to go to this uh, ice cream place. Never a good idea, guys. Do not get in the trunk of someone's car. That is not a safe place <laughs> to go. Especially a Ford Escort like that. We, we were so low to the ground because there was too many people in the car. It was insane. Regardless, there's this turn in, in Westwood, like kind of right in the center of town, that you have to... A two-way road becomes a one-way road. You got to make a right and go through a light, whatever. We're approaching it. And we're saying to my friend Rosen, go right, go right, right, right. And he's just, he's not understanding. I think he's looking at a road ahead of us. Boom. He goes through this one way in the center of town. Police come instantly. Oh my gosh. Instantly. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We're like, oh fuck, what are we going to do? I'm like, Rosen, just be cool. Just say that, you know, you were taking us somewhere, blah, blah, blah. And... My friend Bernard, he was in the front seat. He didn't even have a seatbelt on. I'm like, fuck, you know? He rushes to put his seatbelt on, whatever. It's too late. The cop comes in. I remember her just distinctly. She's like, you know, Mr. Rosen, there's too many people in this car, and you're headed on a one-way. You know, what are you doing? And he he creates this 10-minute story that makes (laughs) no sense. I'm like, dude. And we're all, like, corroborate because she's like, is that true to us in the background? We're like, yeah. He's like, ah, my parents, their car broke down, and we really want to get ice cream, but they finally got their car to work, so they're gonna meet us there and pick us up. But there was no other what way that we could get. Like, it was just. I'm like, about? oh, I was like, no. And we all had to be like, uh, yeah, yeah, uh huh, that's true. She, I don't know if she believed us or not, but she, like, the place we said was like a block or two away. She's like, essentially, okay, safely drive there if what you said is true. Your parents better pick everyone else up, and I better not see you driving home with all these other people. So he's like, okay, oh, sure. Man. Thank God. He was luckily he didn't get a ticket, right? Whatever. So he he gets out of there, we get to the ice cream place, and we're like, the cop looked like she was going home, she's off duty, whatever, you know. <laughs> you pressed your we, luck, you pressed your luck. We eat our ice cream. My two friends... Oh, I didn't mention this about the trunk. Sorry. Uh-huh. A little backtrack. But while he's be- telling this long story, my friends in the trunk can hear everything. Oh, and they're stone-faced silent. And he's getting nervous and he's pressing on the brake. So the light is coming on in the trunk. From what they told me, they're just staring at each other like, 
oh my fucking god, do not say anything. Because, you know, it's one thing to have people in the back seat. If you find people in the trunk... Yeah, you're losing your license. You're losing your license. So these guys are like, holy shit. Whenever we get there, like I said, we have, we have the ice cream. And these guys pop the trunk and are literally climbing back in. This cop shows up. Oh my god. Not in uniform, just like as a regular citizen. He's like, Mr. Rosen. Oh my god. Someone was lying to me. <laughs> and I think he played it off like, oh no, no, we were joking about the incident. You know, we wanted to take a picture. Just of- stop lying. Stop <laughs> lying. So yeah, so she waited until our parents picked us all up oh, to go. Amazing. <laughs> That's great. Great ending. Wow. I was like, that's totally a license to drive story, but whatever. I remembered it two episodes later, so had to oh, share. Sorry hey, if it was long. No, all good. Still works. Still works. I don't have any trunk shenanigans <laughs> on my end here, so we could probably move on from that. But None you could legally share. I can't believe you guys are going to press your luck and be like, let's just pile back in. What do we know? We're dumb kids. Like, you know? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So you said, though, this film, The Prayer of the Roller Boys, you had actually seen before and you're familiar with. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Like, I had actually seen it, I mean, it had to have been later than when it came out. It came out in 1990, it says, but, like, yeah. I remember watching it a little later. Maybe it was on, like, the first version of the Sci-Fi Channel when I was in high school Ooh. or something. Yeah, like, they were just sort of uh, groping to play anything, I guess, at the time that was sort of, like, uh, you know... Uh, cheap, I guess. <laughs> I don't know what else I was to put it, but like, yeah, it was not the network it is now. But yeah, I can't quite remember exactly how or when. I didn't rent it. Uh, maybe it was on like one of the HBO subsidiaries, like Encore. I don't know if Encore's is Encore still around. Uh, I think so. It's like the early stars and everything. So uh, yeah, I remember seeing it. I didn't remember much of it. I definitely didn't remember Patricia Arquette in it. <laughs> I didn't remember like a lot of the sort of detail to the plot, like the world building, like any of that kind of stuff. Like all that was sort of fresh again to me. I just remembered rollerblading gang of trench coat wearing hoodlums sort of terrorizing like a not too distant future America, Los Angeles. Like, you know, like yeah, this, this was way sort of more than I remember it being. <laughs> right on the surface, this seems like it's kind of going to be like a double O kid to someone like mm. me who hasn't seen the movie, right? Like, oh, just like a cheesy, let's put rollerblades in this and run with that, you know? Yeah, yeah, like a class of 1984 kind of thing. Even that, yeah, exactly. Like something along those lines. But no, this one was... I don't want to say deep. That's like too heavy of a word. But there was a lot of lore in this world they created. Right. So much world building. Like to the extent of which I was like, where's that movie? Why are we focusing on the Roller Boys so much? Like I need to see what's happening, you know, grand scale. You know what I'm saying? Like, did you look up these right this writer and this director by any chance? And and I mean, I know very. Okay, little information. Okay, I know we're probably going to get into their big hit, like the big thing they're really responsible for and everything, yes. but like I just wish they could have revisited this down the line after they were sort of more established and like fleshed it out, show us more of America, more of the world, uh, like that kind of situation. This kind of reminded me of like the second 
Mad Max, which is, for all intents and purposes, in the United States, the first one, because we didn't really know of the first one when it first came out. But, like, where they don't really explain what happened, but suddenly people are here and they're just living with it. And and you hear things in the background, right? But you're right, this isn't a movie about what has happened to America. This is just... A, a kind of a micro story that's turning macro, a potential movement that could be taking over America. It's a very weird place in <laughs> time. It's a very strange movie, like commenting on, you know, a very strange time in politics in the world in general, I feel too, you know, like this is sort of close after the wall came down and the Soviet Union sort of disassembled. And it says a lot about global trade economics and it's getting into you know what i'm saying like it's pre-internet but it's getting into stuff like the sort of one world kind of uh way of thinking right where it's like it's not just america anymore it's like it's china and japan and russia and everybody you know everybody's sort of like a major player now in at least in this timeline of this movie where we are here i can't wait to really get into some more of that little like minutia too now you know, you make an interesting point. When we said License to Drive was kind of like the capitalist wet dream, to be like a little bit vulgar, this is almost like what communist imagined America would have turned into <laughs> because of our greed, right? Racism is rampant. Like, it's all, it's amazing. Like, I'm not in support of it. You know what I mean, though. No, I mean, look, like, we are dangerously close to the age of the roller boys. Like, not to be like sort of is flippant the right word about it? Like, I don't mean to like sort of downplay that or anything. Cause like our country isn't exactly in the best place right now. You know, it's pretty divided and stuff. And there's a lot of rhetoric in this movie that were sort of like big trigger words these days. You know what I'm saying? Like they knew exactly what they were saying when they made this yet. It's presented as this MTV generation kind of like, uh, commercialized version of all of these sort of like deep political things that like is I guess it's trying to say is like your average teenager is just not aware a lot of this stuff is like an issue <laughs> and it's weird for it to come out in the Roller Boys movie. <laughs> yeah, very weird, very weird. So just to make it more succinct, License to Drive is capitalism succeeding. The Prayer of the Roller Boys is the failure of capitalism in the same city, essentially, you know? Yeah, they're actually a good double feature. It's kind of an interesting mirror, like a mirror universe of, um, you know, maybe this is like Wes, but like in the parallel dimension, right? Like this is what <laughs> happened to him. He does have a younger brother. Don't know what happened to the rest of the family. His parents in this movie did not die in, in the way that I expected them to have perished at all. I thought they were going to be like freedom fighters or something nope. like like that's the world we're living in. Yeah, no, I don't disagree with that take on things. <laughs> so if you guys are not familiar with this film, which would not shock me if you're not, uh, let me read the back of the VHS as I do every week. In this lightning-paced sci-fi thriller... Teen star Corey Haim is a young hero fighting to keep himself and his younger brother alive. Shattered and bankrupt, America has been overwhelmed by the onslaught of violence, designer drugs, and inner-city warfare. Rising from the ashes to take control is the seductive and deadly new paramilitary gang called the Roller Boys. 
Teamed with a sexy young undercover agent, Haim enters the sinister underworld of the Roller Boys. Sorry, keep like capitalizing <laughs> I love it. it. I love it. <laughs> Where only he can halt their fiendish plot. As the gang's final solution, in quotes, is revealed, the world teeters on the brink of a terrifying new age. Not a bad one, I don't think. No, right? pretty, pretty good. Pretty good. You know, we could beef that up a little bit. I think that they mentioned the younger brother that gets hooked on no. the mist. Yeah, he's got a younger brother. Did they mention uh, Speedbagger, you know, the old man they live with that the Roller Boys then uh, racially profile and beat the shit out of in front of him? No, they uh, do not. part of initiation. Um, I thought America was, like, invaded. Like, it seemed to me in the beginning, like, there was a war, like, America lost. They were invaded by, like, just about everyone. There was, like, a pillage and a plunder, and then the rest of us were sort of left to fend for ourselves and sort of pick up the pieces and stuff. Um, I was sort of overwhelmed at times when the Roller Boys were giving out brand new comic books based off of themselves. I was like, where are the resources coming from for stuff like this? You know, like, at one point, they're like, get them to a hospital. I'm like, hospitals shouldn't still really be accessible in this in this future it's still a lot of fun there's a lot of that stuff going on though and it, and it's really weird and fun well there was no evasion i don't think uh from what i gather and i, I saw the film twice in a row kind of because <laughs> I, I want to watch it for a question i think i'm going to answer in a little bit but okay this is supposed to be like as capitalist we got way too greedy and the rich who we really don't see really do have all the wealth. Okay. And the poor just have absolutely nothing. And that's why most of the country is in poverty camps. And if you can right. get yourself out of the poverty camps, you know, great. But, like, it's <laughs> – this is, again, yeah. like, capitalism – like I said, like, I, yeah. like Karl Marx, if he was going to be like, this is the end of capitalism. Because not to get all, like, highfalutin philosophy – government and politics not to flex my government and politics degree get there here. get there but call john brooks what, I mean, <laughs> for, for this episode <laughs> i believe there were two schools of thought in early like socialist and communist theory there was like oh we need a revolution to get this done the other side was no no no, no. this is inevitably going to happen this is what the inevitably going to happen looked mm. like for those people who were still Communist, socialist, whatever they were, right? Yeah. But it was yeah. like capitalism will eventually fail and the workers or someone will fill that void. Right. 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 Because if you look at the news stories, like you said, there's existence of hospitals. There's existence of there's obviously. News. There's there's TV news, right? So. Yeah, TV news. They're not having like secondhand rollerblades. So in that world, it's not Mad Max. These aren't found things. There's a rollerblade factory somewhere producing mm-hmm. like this great stuff. Yeah, so, yeah. What's destroyed us is within, which is like the greed and probably the top 1%, you mm-hmm. know, you know, that's a buzz word or buzz term these days for sure. The top 1% is in control of everything, all the money almost, and basically 99% of the population has to fend for themselves. Oh, I think that makes it better. That's a better sort of uh, explanation than, you know what I was thinking. Like I, yeah, I like that more. That fits. That works. You know, because the main bad guy in this, like the head of the Roller Boys, is sort of like the new capitalist, right? He's like, I've come along and I've 
bought up all of the land and I've bought up like interest in the power plant and like I've teamed with the Chinese because they give me the ingredients for the mist that I make as a drug which is actually like uh, a sterilizer so that only people who don't do it get to survive and procreate it's like it's wild all of the sort of geopolitical like crap going on in this thing. Like, I just want <laughs> to see. Lot. There's I just, a lot. I know, but part of me is just like, I just want to see like cool rollerblading and stunts. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. And again, that's what I thought this movie was going to be. So yeah, the, yeah. Reason, the reason I watched it twice was when you had suggested this one, I was like, oh, I don't see any teenage, like, I don't see a high school in here. You know what I mean? It's not like, oh my God, I got to pass my driving test. Uh So I wanted to confirm that everyone was a teenager. They were. And then, you know, you watch it and you find out like schools have completely fallen apart. Only the mega rich go to school. And one uh, trope we see in this movie that we see in a lot of high school movies is the desire to go to college. And like, where is he going to go to school? He wants to go to school. He can't afford it. They've mm-hmm. moved some schools to oh, Europe. Harvard has relocated to Hiroshima. We're looking at Cambridge, Massachusetts, right? Wrong. I'm standing in Hiroshima, Japan, where just moments ago, the last brick was refitted into place, completing 300-year-old Harvard University's historic relocation to the Far East. That's it for the Ivy League. Negotiations have now begun with the Big Ten schools. We're looking forward to... A- there's not going to be any colleges left by the time we get any money together. Yeah. Wasn't long ago society gave you a future. They preached it. They reaped it. Then they went and breached it. But the future's coming anyhow. It's got you in his sights. He's looking for a fight. So you got to keep your guard up. Brick, brick by brick. They have sold Harvard to Japan, and it has fun. It has just been finished being rebuilt there, and it is like insane. Like the, surely, like by selling all of our universities, America could get back on its feet. Like who did they sell that to? The president of the United States? Like I don't understand what is really happening here. Probably creditors. Probably creditors. Okay. You know I mean? All right. They, yeah, I no, love it. No one could afford to go to school anymore. Yeah. They raised tuition so high that yeah. they had to find you know students elsewhere. Well, yeah, enter Rollerboy Academy is what I'm thinking. You know, like there is in a way a certain school of thought being taught here uh, on the streets. You know, it's like street school perhaps, but it is like you know the uh, the motto or like the rhetoric of the Rollerboys that is like now sort of like the knowledge right like that's what i was so i was doing the same thing i was like oh man like i kind of flubbed this because there isn't school even though Corey tries to homeschool his brother at one point which i was like all right we see books they're cracking books like we're they're teenagers there. that's all i need they're teenagers. okay but then the revelation that you know all like the schools are closed or whatever so it's like okay so if they're if they were open they'd be there <laughs> you know at least we got that oh yeah at this point in high school slumber party just has to be teenage adjacent yeah 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 and they would definitely be going to like high school in 1984 or a class of 1999 school or something like that. Like that, is, yeah. those are these futures that we are sort of witnessing. I feel like class of 1984, like that high school, existed a couple years, maybe like 10 years before <laughs> whenever we are. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like when chaos first started. Right, because now everything seems to be very District 12 almost, or at least Venice Beach where this movie was shot, which... 
you know, okay, that's cool. I think they did a good job of like making the most of that. And it's just a very graffiti ridden sort of double dragon, the movie type setting going on, very industrial, that kind of thing. So like it gets away with, with all of that sort of sci-fi backdrop. It looks a lot like that movie with Justin Timberlake in, I think it was in time where they had like the time to live, like literally like caked into their DNA and it would glow on their wrists. Oh yeah. You know that movie? Yeah. It looks like that movie. I think that's an Alex Proyas movie, by the way. Dang you, Alex Proyas. <laughs> I mean, from The Crow, which is, you know, oh my gosh, to like that movie, it's which is like, oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> and everything in between, including a cage film. But I don't know. If you take my meaning, like, I think the setting and the environment and the story and everything gelled in a pretty good way. Yeah. I didn't, again, I didn't expect to see so much of this here in this film. And I guess the credit has to go to the writer-director duo, the co-writers, if you will, and you alluded to them. Rich King directed W. Peter Illiff? Or Willif? I don't know. I think it's Illiff, yeah. I think that's Illif? I assume uh, you said that, you know, their major project that they worked together on. You alluded to one. Point Break, right? These guys are are behind Point Break, a movie you're well familiar with. Oh, oh yeah, and you can... You can feel it. I didn't know that until right before I got on the air, and I was like, maybe I should look these guys up real quick and just like peruse their, you know, IMDb's and stuff. And I was like, whoa, I just like hit a roadblock because like Griffin and his friend, I guess Gary Lee is his name, the character name. That's the guy, right? The the, yeah, the leader, yeah. the leader of the which voice. is so weird, like, right? Right, <laughs> and he's got like that perm sort of mullet thing going on. They're very much like. Keanu and um, Swayze like you know it's that dynamic it's that sort of friendship it's that like one's an undercover cop and one is like running <laughs> a, you know a money running scheme of somebody he's not robbing banks he's dealing drugs and, and he's got all these other political aspirations but it's very much like there you know like inline skating in, instead of surfing I, I couldn't believe it right yeah no there's a lot of seeds of what we'll later see in Point Break I also wanted to note that uh, W. Peter Illiff also co-wrote Varsity Blues, another film we talked about on this podcast. Uh, I wasn't too familiar with these guys. They're not like household names by any means, but interesting, interesting to uh, see that Point Break connection for sure. In terms of the cast, not a lot of names. Of course, Corey Haim. If we need to talk more about who Corey (laughs) Haim is, guys, do your homework. Listen to the other episodes. Uh, But like I said, the big note I had on him here, well, two notes. One, he did all his own stunts. And we learned from from Austin that he was really into, like, rollerblading and this kind of stuff. So that's cool. And then two, as I said, this is kind of one of his first movies where he's not playing, like, that awkward teenager. So, and he was eager to have roles like that. Yeah, but he's still the good boy. You know what I mean? Like, he's got an edge. And I think it, I think it fits him pretty well, you know, but... I couldn't see him as the leader of the Roller Boys. You know what I mean? No. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he still can't do that, or not that he can. I'm sure he could, but there's still like behind the eyes, like this um, innocence and gentleness and all that kind of stuff. You know, like the Virgin still comes through in his character and stuff. So, you know, he still can't 100% get away from it. Yeah, yeah. You know, Corey Haim is really good. He's really good at doing what he does, even when he's not. Yeah. 100% being that, 
there's still that like essence of it. I don't know. You know what I mean? Right? Yeah, like, like he's still good in this. Like that's what I'm saying though. Is like it's because he's still the good guy. You know, he still has the edge too. It's not like he's a safe boy. You know, he's not a nicey guy or anything like that. Like he's still like tough and shoots people and you know wants to get laid and like all that kind of stuff. Like you know, he's a tough kid. Like he's kind of a badass. And I think Corey Haim you know, is still a good actor, like, regardless of whatever else is going on in his life. When they say, like, action, I still feel like he can bring it. Yes, 100%, 100%. And then you've been, uh, via social media and just us chatting, <laughs> really talking about this person, Patricia Arquette, Dream Warriors uh, alumni, but of course people know her from other things. But yeah, I mean, her, her uh, wardrobe here reminded you of another movie, right? She looks when she shows up exactly like Alabama Whirly in uh, freaking True Romance. Like, what is going on there? And uh, part of her character is that she dresses up weird, I guess, like every other scene. At one point, she's wearing a cowgirl outfit. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure if that was for a reason or not, but um, that is the day she tells him that she's a cop. But yeah, that was crazy that it's it's like the same... It's the, it's the look. It's as if Tarantino saw this movie which he very well may have working in a video store in 1990, watching everything that came through the door. And if it's a Corey movie, you know he watched it, right? True, and if true. Patricia Arquette's in it, if that's, you know, Rosanna Arquette's sister, you know he watched it. So seeing that is, like, crazy to see because it's only going to be, like, six years later, right, that True Romance, like, is out or something. So I'm not sure exactly on the timeline, but it's wild. Yeah, that's interesting. I Like, I just put that in Google. I didn't see anything tarantino connection but you know what i wish we had his phone number be like yo quentin you seen this movie He's like, yeah i've seen this movie you know <laughs> i mean who knows I mean, he might have been shooting reservoir dogs by that they might have been out of the video store by 1990 like i really don't know i i'm not a historian on him or or a biographer or anything but like it's just that's where my mind sort of flies to like he just sees everything you know and like it just i wouldn't for sure you never know where that inspiration is going to like hit you or come from, and so she's great in this, and I love. She's almost I don't want to say prophetic because a lot of other movies were doing it at the time, but there's a look that becomes very popular for women in this era, and she has it. She even reminded me of like Lori Petty a couple years later in Tank Girl, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> or or even Point Break, or po- Point Break. You know, she has a very, like, uh, even like a Courtney Love vibe, you know? Mmm, good call. So, uh, it's 1990. I know that, like, grunge, like you said, is, like, bubbling up. And I don't know. One of my favorite things to explore, not just on this podcast, but in general, right? Like, that whole the Reagan 80s and what it was. And then what the 90s started to become, which was, like, a weird little rebellion against that. Like, there were yeah. still kids going to malls and stuff. Like, but... They were dressing different, and they were almost, like, anti that whole yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I would say, like, between junior high and regular high school, you know, like, uh, there was sort of, like, this shift, you know? Well, it's between uh, Bush Sr. and Clinton, you know what I mean? You couldn't get more op. It was, like... You know, someone like kicked in the door with two kegs on his shoulder and dropped him in the Oval Office and was like, it's time to party for the 90s. <laughs> and like, that's kind of how shit went down a lot. Like my high school became way more progressive during that time, you know, between freshman and senior year, like looks changed 
drastically, you know what I mean? Like, and, and you could go to school looking however you wanted. And I mean, when I started school, I remember in sixth grade, you couldn't wear a hat in school, like a baseball cap. Like my school was like, no, no baseball caps. And then one day I remember coming to school and they're like, okay, uh, baseball caps. So who knows like, <laughs> what the hell is really happening? But there's definitely like a value I don't want to say a value shift, right? But, right? but like people were becoming more open-minded, more um, sort of understanding or more willing to kind of have a conversation, I feel, right? There were less stiffs and uh, sticks were coming out of people's butts left and right. And, you know, it just kind of felt like it, we were entering like a better kind of more sort of fun zone for a while. Yeah, like Alex P. Keaton, he's like the 80s kid and his parents are hippies. And even in, <laughs> even in Valley Girl, the girl's like a Valley Girl and her parents are hippies. And then in the 90s, the kids, not that they're hippies because it's a completely different movement, but the kids start to become a little bit more rebellious compared to the 80s kids, like the mid-80s kids, which is very much commercial fashion, the mall. I mean, the mall yeah, was still popular yeah. in the 90s, but... I feel yeah. like the 90s is more about the mall rats, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it's funny, too, because, you know, we got, like, in the 90s, they were like, hey, here's, I'm going to just use The Simpsons as a, as a kind of interesting example, because when that show started, they were like, here's Bart Simpson, like, look how sort of anti-establishment he is, and, like, he really likes to stick it to the system, and then, like, a few years later, that show's star became Homer, and it was like, look how dumb your parents are, like, let's have a good <laughs> laugh at, like, the boomers for a while and things like that like you know what i mean like it really was sort of like within all of that frame of mind i feel you know and like fox as a network in general when they were doing shows always being much more edgy and getting away with things and you know it was that kind of atmosphere i feel and th crazy. that's where this movie sits crazy yeah i don't know and all that socioeconomic you know timeline conversation we had was inspired for me, by Patricia Arquette in this film. <laughs> but let's talk about Gary Lee. Christopher Collette. I swore I knew this guy because he has such a great look. I really liked him. I even thought at one point, I'm like, wait, is this the guy who plays Shooter McGavin? <laughs> wait, I thought, at, I thought at one point, is this the kid who plays Lucas from Wizard? Right? The Power Glove Oh, yeah. Kid? <laughs> <laughs> no, um, apparently his biggest role was 1986, a film called The Manhattan Project. Oh, okay. Yeah. Science fiction film. About, like, the bomb, right? Didn't he, like, I think, was that the one with John Lithgow, by any chance? Let me see. Yeah, John Lithgow. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. I've been watching a lot of Third Rock lately. He's amazing. Oh, I love that show. Oh, it's a high school movie? Gotta write it down. Oh, boy. <laughs> is that is Helen Hunt in that, by any chance? Uh, my... John Lithgow. Cynthia Nixon. Oh, uh, okay, I was close. Sorry. <laughs> Helen Hunt was running around around that time, too. The Manhattan Project. I wish this guy, you know who I thought was kind of a standout was Bullwinkle. Uh, <laughs> the character, this Morgan Weiser guy, um, he had a look that seemed very familiar, but then... And, he's, I, and he's, there's nothing from him either. No, yeah. no. I love the way these guys looked. Um, Christopher Collette, though, was in Sleepaway Camp. You've seen that movie, right? Oh, yeah. Big one. That's a big one. Let's mm -hmm. say he it's a is... classic. He just plays one of them. Paul. Um, so yeah, not not big. You said Bullwinkle, which is the worst like neo-Nazi name ever. Yeah, but. why is <laughs> why I'm trying to think of why they settled on that, but I never got to the bottom of it. Now 
Bango, on the other hand, I know this guy, Mark Pellegrino, the uh, Ivan Drago-looking dude. Yeah, um, yeah, he's cool. He's in a lot of stuff. Yeah, but mostly for me, he's Jacob on Lost. Yes. So it was really weird here seeing him be like this goose-stepping, you know, strong-armed Nazi boy. And then like on Lost being like this long-haired hippie man that like is immortal, right? Like it's just so strange to see his range. And he kicks ass in this movie. I like him. Yeah, he does. Mark Pellegrino. I actually knew him mostly from... Capote, he plays one of the In Cold Blood killers in that. He's also apparently in The Big Lebowski, but he's not a big role. It's like a, you know, like a thug or like a common thug. But he's in a a Cage movie, Cage Nexton. He's one of the agents in National Treasure who are like after him with like Harvey Keitel. Oh, excellent. I don't think we picked that up when we watched it or on the second time when we rewatched it. But he's in a ton of stuff. He's a guy who does a lot of TV as well, in addition to Lost, which... I think most yeah, people yeah. will know him from anyway. Yeah, so Mark Pellegrino. The gangs were cool. Um, The kid, what was his name? Oh, his brother? Yeah, Milky or something? Milty? Milty. Milty, which is like, yeah. you know, Uncle Milt, which is like Milton Burrow. Like, <laughs> that's what I think of, who was like dead, I think, by then. But, uh, you know, 100, I think, when he died, like at the dawn of... TV, radio entertainment, right? Milton Burrow, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. You know, used to smoke a big cigar, apparently had the biggest schlong in Hollywood. I was going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> to this day, that has like been re-corroborated every few years. Too, it's crazy. So. It's crazy. Good for him. Um, yeah. yeah. I think Mel Brooks was like, absolutely. <laughs> you know? Wow. When last asked. <laughs> yeah, so he's played by an actor named Devin Clark. He gets a lot of screen time, but another face, I'm like, oh, I'm sure this kid is something. But wasn't. Not that he's nothing, you know what I mean? He just wasn't a familiar name. The way my mind remembered that kid's role, I thought that was uh, Joshua Miller, the guy from the kid from Teen Witch. I thought it was the brother. He would have nailed this role. (laughs) That's hilarious. How about uh, Speedbagger? You mentioned him. He's played by Julius Harris, who, look him up. He's in a lot of those black exploitation films. Oh, okay. Um, Black Caesar, Hell Up in Harlem. Oh, he was also fly. in. He was also in Live and Let Die. Oh wow! Okay. So cool. you know, Shaft's he's... big score, Trouble Man, Friday Foster. Wow, Shaft, the original Shaft. Cool. Veteran actor here. Anyone else who you uh, recognized or knew? For me, no one. So. No, no. You know, there's like a cop who's not Harry Dean Stanton, and then <laughs> then there's like another cop who I like thought I recognized but didn't, and so no, not really. Like I, I, I don't think that there's any other like anyone of note necessarily. So I mean, let's do it. Let's get into it. Let's talk about oh, brother <laughs> the nitty gritty in here of the prayer of the roller boys. The way like this movie is kind of opening up in terms of, or like the early scenes where the kid is just kind of running around town and we see that propaganda from Gary, which is, again, I wish he had a cooler mm-hmm. name. From yeah, Gary how Lee. is he Gary? I mean, I get the <laughs> Gary Lee because there's like a, there's like a small sort of Confederate sort of vibe also running through mm-hmm. this, like, True. like the, uh, like the pizza place, like makes him wear that Dixie hat, you know, that, <laughs> and did you pick yeah, up like on a- that? <laughs> <laughs> Barbershop quartet kind of looking get up there. Um, right, or or like he's running for mayor of Mississippi. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> but Gary Lee, yeah, he's he's making this speech, and I think it's executed so well on the TV, and the kids are all watching. They ignored repeated warnings and borrowed more money than they could ever repay. 
lost our farms, lost our factories, lost our homes. Alien races foreclosed on our nation while we, we were locked in homeless camps. Now America belongs to the enemy. Forget your parents. They didn't care about us. We are the new generation and we are the remedy. You need a new family. A family that cares. The Roller Boys care. Join with us. Let us be your strength. Let us be your warriors. And at first, it's kind of a motivating speech. And then he starts talking about like how different races have taken over and all these things. And you're like, oh, oh. Yeah, yeah. And then you oh. see him. You see him yeah. and he's got blonde hair and blue eyes. And, you know, he, he looks like he's in the Matrix like 24-7, even though that would be 10 years from now. Um, I was getting heavy <laughs> sort of like vibes about like because the long trench coats and all that and yeah like he's talking about like already stuff like nationalism and you know i wanted to i I started like writing it down but it's basically just like go watch any anything from the news from last year and it's like all of these speeches you know and like i don't want to drop the last guy's name try not to say it anymore even but like everything he said is like what this guy's saying you know it's all about like america first you know make america great again that's what he's saying you could see how he'd be appealing to a population that feels like they have nothing like okay not only that but all boys apparently where are the girls like there's patricia arquette okay she works with the cops i i mean except for the one party scene i don't see any like even even like little kid girls running around or anything. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that was a little weird. I don't know if that was in, I guess it was intentional, but I don't know. That is weird. Good call. And you know, the first, I would say 15 minutes of the movie is just kind of to show us what this world is like. You mentioned, we see the scene where Corey Haim is a pizza delivery guy. um, and And he delivers to like those cops guarding the, what's supposed to be a homeless center, but it's more like a, you know, prison, a huge like refugee camp prison. And we also see that Corey Haim, Griffin, has a past with Gary Lee and Bullwinkle and like all, you know, mostly Gary Lee. Like they grew up together. It's been a long time, Gary Lee. Why'd you come back? It's warm. I believe Bullwinkle has something that he wants to say to you. Thanks for getting me out. Bullwinkle, you could be a little more grateful. Where are your manners? Do you know that Griffin and I used to be next door neighbors? We were about eight, right? I heard you lost your parents too. About a year ago. So, what'd you tell that Pollock detective? Man, I didn't say nothing. I won't forget this. Bullwinkle came up with me through the camps. Anything you need, you just ask. 
So he kind of likes him, you know? Like, he, he wants him on the team. And I'm not convinced Griffin is necessarily against what's going on here. He doesn't seem like a freedom fighter at this point. He, he mm-hmm. just wants a... I'm not saying he's a racist either. He just seems like he wants a way out and, and hope for his younger brother, who he sees as slowly descending to be more pro roller boys, which are just a big Nazi gang. Yeah, there's also, like, no options for mm-hmm. either of them, really. Like, what's he really doing delivering these pizzas to guards at, like, a detainment center that he's eventually going to end up in if he doesn't join the Roller Boys? You know, and we know he's, like, virtuous, too, and, like, not just because of his brother, but he saves the Roller Boy from the burning house by destroying the yeah. man that belongs to work. So, like, you know, he's he sort of, like, thinks about that before property or, or anything like like that so like now he's sort of like in this weird debt where he has to pay off his boss but the roller boys offer their assistance and stuff you know like i like how his character kind of naturally dug this hole in a weird way you know what Mm -hmm. i mean like i don't feel like any of this feels too sort of like forced or anything like that like it seems like something this character would end up doing and like you know get in over his head because he wanted to try and help everybody and everything like that yeah yeah i agree it's it's fascinating in that way that it's it feels natural like it it doesn't feel forced and i also wasn't Mm -hmm. terribly confused my questions were about the world around it which we've discussed it a lot (laughs) um they weren't about like why he would do like why he would join whatever team he was joining right yeah this is a this is a very sort of clear-cut plot when it you know what i mean when it gets down to it when like after the inciting incident and everything and we're introduced like oh like okay so like i love how you mentioned how we knew this guy when they were eight years old and that's why he wants to help him and like give him protection and protect him from the roller boys it's like you see that a lot in movies you know like that's a big thing that just that bond of childhood and everything like that like i i thought that was a cool angle to be like hey in this new world that i'm in you know taking order of like you don't worry man like you're safe and here's something for your brother to like get him past checkpoints or whatever and like that was a really fun angle uh that they dropped as well but um i i think he mentions at one point to stay away from those dudes because they're racists like i think he actually drops that like as the movie goes on more sort of tough language is dropped like they even drop an n-word at one point and then also the violence really cranks up a lot too which was jarring yes for sure i think the what you're saying the progression kind of mirrors any kind of movement that takes over um at first again you know we don't need to talk about the last four years because we could talk about any movement but there are really related things obviously not to the level i'm going to use now but like even in nazi germany right like most people at the beginning were not like oh i hate the jews and i'm racist i'm a nazi they're like we are in a depression this guy seems to know what he's doing and eventually when you buy in more you start buying in more you start buying in more and then you're believing everything the guy says, Hitler in this case. Yeah. We did see it in the last four years, and we are seeing it with like the, the events uh, you know, before the inauguration uh, recently, right? Like if you remember when Trump got elected, right? Like a lot of people like voted for him. It's like, oh, I don't necessarily believe everything he's saying, but I think he's better than the other person. And then a lot of those people who said that <laughs> end up storming capitals and stuff like that. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, look, I'm not saying it applies to everything, and I'm not saying everything that these filmmakers are saying 
is true or right, but I think that's what they're alluding to, that like it's yes. an easy dip to go from just helpful to extremism. And yeah. no, no one ever believes they're the bad guy, right? Hitler wasn't like, you know twirling his mini mustache and being like i'm evil right like his ends justified his well, means i don't believe well, i don't believe <laughs> nobody he, he didn't, didn't really have him. a big mustache to twirl but like by all accounts he was a real prick i'm not definitely not defending him but no one thinks they're the bad guy is my point no no evil person thinks that they're evil he did not believe he was evil and this guy doesn't believe he's evil he believes he's helping an old friend here you know like yeah. it just that's what's right to him. And he's a fucked up, crappy, <laughs> fascist individual, well, this dude. But he's rationalized it within himself. Yeah, and, like, you know, he's taking uh, sort of, like, control of an opportunity, you know? Like, he's seizing the moment. He sees that there's, like, a lack of leadership. He sees that everybody's very down on their luck. Them right, Like, they're crossing the border to Mexico to look for work in this movie, you know what I mean? It's, like, upside-down world here. I mean, there's news, but there doesn't seem to be, like, sitcoms or anything like that. So the only other thing on TV we see is this guy spouting his propaganda, okay? So, like, if you're – and he's going after the youth, you know? It's and like by the way, he is a youth, too. And he's a youth. So it's, like, this weird kind of, like – you know, again, this is a – this might be, you know – over the edge or whatever, but th- there was a movie recently about it. It kind of reminds me on the opposite spectrum, on sort of the more positive note of like the Black Panther movement, where you had a such a young guy and such a charismatic man involved in that movement to really, you know, partially get a lot of other people behind it. You know, you see a young man who's barely 20 years old or something with so much command of a, of a, of a moment or something like that. All right. And like, this is like, that but like the evil side you know like Mm -hmm. again he doesn't see himself as an evil man but he's definitely like behind the scenes like kind of like the circle like he knows he's doing shady shit to good people and that he's fucking up lives and things like that which ultimately in the end is is why like he's got to get taken out but for good and everything but it's just the parallels of supremacists you know what i'm saying like these people who uh, have too much control, have too much power, and are not necessarily, or in, or just not smart enough to hang on to it and know how to wield it in a just and sort of civil way. You know what I mean? Like all these people with power eventually, like if you have it for too much for too long, that you're gonna do a bad thing. I feel. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. They they taught us at an animal farm. You know. Yeah, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Come on. <laughs> it, it's true. It's it, a lesson as old as time, but, you know, it's a lesson we still always need to learn. Wait, was it in Beauty and the Beast as well? <laughs> yes, no. Tale of the <laughs> Oh, man. How about in terms of, like, a lure, right? Like, the parties this guy throws. Like, there's that one oh, party man. at, like, the, I don't know, it's like a carousel kind of place or... these these guys for some context for i don't know this isn't i guess this is a i mean it's a teen movie obviously but it's not a high school movie but in, in ninja turtles one right this is like the foot clan minus the ninjas okay so it's yes, just like yes, yes. <laughs> it's just a warehouse party 24 7 
And hot debate whether Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is a teenage movie. It has it in the title. They're but, teenagers. The Ninja but Turtles. But are they? Are yes. they? They're like so. So at April the time of that movie, they're supposed to be like fifteen. The teenage, the turtles. So 15, April O'Neil, an adult reporter, is like hooking up. Well, she's not. She's hanging out with them, but like she's a kind of weird. She could be in her early twenties. I don't know. You know, like April O'Neil doesn't have to be like a. She's not a seasoned vet. She's always. She was like the young scoop out there always risking herself for the story you know she's not like lois lane that like all i know o- is, always gets the bylines or whatever <laughs> all i know is that the new teenage mutant ninja turtle whenever the newest one comes out they will uh-huh. actually be teenagers and it's been a point of contention okay. between people whether they you know it's in the title but i don't know a lot of people said the movies well, do not portray them as teenagers all right fair enough you know i i, I hear you i haven't seen them in a while i mean you have I don't know, in the third one, they're definitely not teenagers, I'd say. They're 19, if anything, in that movie. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? Who knows? Might be something I need to revisit, but that just means I'll be doing this for even longer. I used to think as a kid, just not to get too far off the topic, that the Ninja Turtles, like, part of their mutation was that they were always teenagers. Like, they couldn't Uh... age. Okay? But recently, that's been disproved by the creators with the miniseries The Last Ronin in which one of the Ninja Turtles is like, you know, in his 30s or 40s at this point. So like they definitely age. But that's what that would have been cool, right? Like, you know, 100 years from now if they're alive, like they're still teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> Woo, we have gone off the rails, off the rolls. I don't know if we I don't know if we've uh, off been the cle- inline. <laughs> off the inline, yeah. I don't know if we've been clear enough, guys. Oh, by the way, I should have said this already, but you can catch this entire movie on YouTube. You don't need to in very anyway. the very good uncut quality too. Like nice, yeah, yeah. nice, yeah, nice quality. But the Roller Boys, their aesthetic is mm. they have like you know long brown trench coats. They have their logo on it, and they just rollerblade everywhere. So it's a, it's an interesting well, it's an interesting look. <laughs> they don't ro- two things. One, they don't rollerblade everywhere because I think at one point Gary Lee has like an Ashton Martin maybe or picks Fair, him up in a, true. They do drive in a Rolls Royce or something. So I was like, "Wait a minute. This <laughs> this defies his purpose." But when they are rollerblading, they do it in unison and they like all swing their arms together. Yeah. So they look like a gang from like the Warriors or something. Like they're very intimidating coming down the street. It's very much like Nazi goose stepping, right? Yes, yes. It's a march. It is a march. On rollerblades. It's crazy. Oh, by the way, I was reading the Wikipedia page of this. Did you catch a line in here that says that Gary Lee is a descendant of Hitler? No. What? No. It's, in the Wiki- it's in the Wikipedia article. I'm like, I didn't catch that. Was that like one of the boys from Brazil clones of Hitler? Or like actual, <laughs> like his dad is Hitler's son? Like, how does that work? I, I don't know. I don't know. But like, that's what the Wikipedia article said. I'm like, that's one thing I did not oh, catch Oh, did you know? So there's a game called Bionic Commando. It was pretty famous on Nintendo. But when they localized it, they took out the fact that in the game, the last boss is like Hitler's brain. And it's like <laughs> trying to like come back to life in like a body and stuff. And, and when it came to America, they had to change all that shit. Wow. <laughs> like, <laughs> I didn't realize that. It's crazy how much 
like, you know, talk about like conspiracy theory and, you know, there's a heavy sort of Q sort of vibe from the Roller Boys and all that. But like the idea that Hitler never died was such a crazy conspiracy growing up. Like he even appears in The Simpsons as an old man. It's wild like that that was even sort of perpetrated or whatever perpetuated. I'm not sure. I think to perpetrate something, you have to break the law. I don't know. Yes, yes. But I, I know what you mean. Yeah, it is. It is crazy in that respect. And just even still today, people talk so much about World War II because this shit keeps coming back. It keeps coming back, you know? So it's not as, like, far-fetched and crazy. But even at the time, yeah. I, I learned about Nazis from the computer I had just had either a demo or the full game of Wolfenstein. Okay, okay. Early game. I learned from Indiana Jones, you know, like, what a Nazi was. I was playing Wolfenstein before I even saw Indiana Jones. I don't know if my family knew i was playing it you know computer game and just like pictures of hitler everywhere you're killing nazis you're not pro nazi <laughs> yeah. but right. still it was like oh this is interesting you know Octoon, the guys you see <laughs> Octoon baby wasn't that a u2 album yes it yes it is not that i'm a huge u2 fan but yes i believe it is um i mean i don't know what else do you want to talk about here there's, there's well, a lot of film it's it's really yeah. There's a lot you know. Go. I wish there was a maybe a little less going on. Like the the main plot is easy. Like we see this a thousand times. Like uh, you know, Patricia Arquette is an undercover cop, and she's sort of infiltrated the Roller Boys as like one of their floozies, and she's been like testing Griffin because he's a new boy. She finds out like she can trust him, and they turn him, and so now they are both undercover until they get found out. Uh, and then, like, they have to blow that one guy away in the back of the head, which was amazing. And then it's that. It's, like, all about taking, you know, like, it doesn't have to take place in the future. Like, this doesn't have to have all of these, like, crazy, wild, kind of, like, Hunger Games-type politics or whatever. Like, it doesn't need any of that. But, like, that's what juices it up, you know? Like, I feel like I'm sort of grateful like i'm definitely going to rewatch this again because now i can just like have fun with the with the wide world of it you know like i think they intentionally made it sort of this uh movie you've seen before and then they've like dressed it up as this bizarro you know crazy science fiction thriller of some type you know and and like all they really had to do to do that was like add those little background elements even you know like you could strip the fact that Germany bought Poland in this movie <laughs> and it would be the same movie you know on on a certain level like but like I love that stuff and that's what gives it all the charm in the world yeah Mike this could be a movie where I don't know you're double in the wild. Kid, double O du- Kid, perhaps. Double O Kid, yes. It this, could be is, kid. this is Double O Kid, pretty much. Like, he is a kid spy. <laughs> well, well, this is a movie, you know, tales all this time. I was going to say, like, um, put him in the Wild West, right? And he's just kind of a rancher. And he's friends with the old bad gang, but he's not necessarily in the gang. And new sheriff comes to town and, you know, convinces him to kind of, if he wants to better his life, just kind yeah. of join the gang and... Hijinks and yeah. Sue. Like, this is tales yeah, yeah. all the time. It, it's, 20, it's a 21 Jump Street episode, but it's... it's <laughs> You're right. But, yeah. but, but you know what? It's Jump Street, like, 2030 is what the title would be, because it's the future. So. 21, 21 Jump Street. We, do we ever get a year? Did they lose track of what... No, they couldn't lose track of what year it was, because the rest of the world has their shit together. It's just America that is basically a parking lot. Yeah, I mean, as far as we know. Look, I'm sure there's or a lot a of... Or swap meet. It, it's like yeah, a, swap the whole... <laughs> 
Yeah, uh, in terms of like other moments, I wanted to kind of just discuss. There weren't yeah. that much. It was more about like the elements that were going on here. So you already brought up Mike the when they like kill that guy or whatever. That's Bullwinkle. That's Bullwinkle. Bullwinkle right? Okay. Bullwinkle and and Corey like keep saving each other's life and yes, like yes. O- and like owing each other one and stuff like that. And he finally discovers that uh, she's a cop. Yes, uh, there's a whole. Again, it almost doesn't matter. <laughs> but that escalation, though, is something important because when I read a little bit of spoiler, like the critical response to it, a lot of people criticized that jump to violence in this movie because I don't think they were used to Corey Haim getting really violent. Yeah, and it's it's harsh. Like it is extreme. It's gore. Like there's headshots and squibs people with machine guns getting blown to pieces like it is wild out there yeah like it's not it's not light at all this is not we're at this point we're firmly out of license to drive territory (laughs) (laughs) absolutely i wonder if that's what Corey meant more about like you know having more of an edge not necessarily his character being the bad guy but just being in the movies that are more sort of like that like like this you know like i would have loved to have seen him i mean we do have lost boys but i would have loved to have seen him at this stage do another horror film right like a dusk till dawn type situation or something like get him in there you know i think that was only about four years from now or something five years anyway like you get you get the idea you know like i think he still works in and whatever he's in and this is the Corey sci-fi film i guess you know with with lots of headshots lots of headshots <laughs> it's insane how many there are he beats a guy with a pipe at one point <laughs> yeah and i guess uh one of the big things in the movie is the drug we mentioned the mist how they keep teasing this was the day of the rope it's called. yeah yeah day of the rope day of the rope which was weird you know it just seems like a kind of day of reckoning but the rope is actually what they're going to convert the mist into. So to be clear, the mist, he's a mist dealer. Sorry, Corey Haim's a mist dealer in this. Like, that's their drug at the time. As of yet, it does not cause sterilization. No. Yeah, they're about yeah. to, like, do that. Yeah, they have licensed the chemicals to create the drug from the Chinese. Now, that's just, like, they have to formulate it themselves, so I don't know if they're doing it right. Maybe that's how they can change it. Like, they, I don't know. But the idea is, like, this is a drug used around the world. Like, China's been using this on their population to sort of pacify them. It's a pacification method kind of situation thing, so there's no uprisings and stuff like that. And they're going to alter it to also include sterilization. I first researched this because it's mentioned in Platoon, but like one of the theories from people in the Vietnam War was that they were like propagating the use of marijuana among soldiers so that they would become pacifists, right? Like this is not a crazy thing mm-hmm. from this. I'm not, I don't agree with that. <laughs> no, yeah, that that's there's a part of like Jacob's Ladder that is concerned with that. You know, that's a nom film, and there's a lot of sort of like drugs in nom sort of experimentation experimenting kind of brought up i believe like that's one of the themes there yeah so this is not like that crazy but what they're gonna do is up the ante with the drug not only is it like addictive and it does pacify you pacify is such a heavy word like it definitely seems like a, a drug that chills you out you know um this is not cocaine they're on but now they're adding a sterilization agent so basically they've gotten the non 
why do we want to say just the whitest of the white are the only ones who are really not on this drug essentially yeah 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 there's a, there's a weird sort of like new jack city sort of scanner darkly oh, yeah kind of thing with like the idea and of like the corporations make the drugs that send you to rehab where you farm the drugs kind of thing going on and everything but yeah no they're all their whole idea i believe is yeah so if they don't want people like them doing miss so they give it to everybody else when they die out like a they're not going to be able to procreate and b when they die out that'll be it that's the end of them you know and like they get to you know be around afterwards and their kids can inherit the earth and all that kind of stuff so it's like kind of a crazy like you know mastermind kind of like evil supervillain plan you know what i mean like it's just really like it goes to that extra level for no reason isn't it just enough that he's like this drug dealing sort of almost like a tony montana kind of light version because he still has the sense to buy like real estate and he's like more of like a lex luther light kind of thing going on like i was really surprised when not that they were Nazis, don't get me wrong, but that they were literally like, you know, the mist is like, let them gas themselves is ultimately what they're saying, you know? And I was like, that is fucked up. <laughs> that is fucking crazy. Not that I want to give this guy advice, but if I had to, I'd be like, whoa, you're young. Slow down. Keep amassing power. Wait till you're president or something, you know what I mean? And then do this. Right? Like, <laughs> I think his ultimate undoing is he's undone by like a lo- an undercover kid and local cops. You you're know? right, you're like, right. Yeah, he, he sort of reached too far when he was too young. He needed to amass the army first and yeah, baby steps, you know. He had the vision, he just, you know. <laughs> well, I'm glad he didn't get it, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know, we all, we all are. I'm just, you know, generally Well, not speaking. everyone, you know. No, I hope I don't want to meet those people. (laughs) Well, I've read some recent criticisms of this movie, and it's like, oh, you know, if Proud Boys watch it, they're going to get inspired. Oh, totally. They're all going to grab rollerblades and get their fat ass out of the basement and lose some weight and trying to get to their marches on rollerblades. (laughs) I I love Hawaiian shirts, and one of the most disappointing things to happen in, like, this recent Proud Boys movement is, like, the co-opting of Hawaiian shirts. Oh, have they? Don't do Oh yeah, oh, yeah, and it, there was like fuck that. There was articles in the New York Times like don't wear don't wear a Hawaiian shirt. I was like, come on, I'm still wearing a Hawaiian shirt. They can't take that from me. Yeah, okay, even though I don't own the Hawaiian me. shirt, you know what I mean. Do they know like don't take rollerblades too? Are they <laughs> even aware like Hawaii has only been a state since like '56? Like like if they found out that it's not one of the original like states, they'd lose their mind and stop wearing <laughs> Hawaiian shirts. Don't you know what I'm saying? Like, they, <laughs> I don't know, but just yeah, don't steal, don't steal rollerblades as well. Don't steal Hawaiian shirts. Don't well, let them have rollerblades. I mean, come on. In <laughs> retrospect, what were we doing on rollerblades, people? Like, you know, for, come on. <laughs> they as were much, cool. I mean, as much as like for a time, I thought they were great. I don't know. I feel like they also became like a major punchline, like by the end of the decade. Eventually, it's like, yeah. If you're not in the X Games, like, why are you on rollerblades? <laughs> like, they're not a great sort of like form of exercise like you really have to like go to a path or something like you have to get good at them it's more like ice skating you know i feel like it's more for like sports it's it's not so much for leisure it's like when arnold was like selling humvees to like housewives it's like what were you doing like selling rollerblades to the average kid who's gonna break their leg kind of <laughs> i know you probably have memories of the the old montvale roller ranker Another roller rink you might as well. Yeah, to, but yeah, yeah. I mean, they were fun, but 
but that was all going. before inline for me. Like, I mean, I was still on four wheels at the at the rink at the quote unquote the rink. Yeah, like I don't. Think yeah, but f- four wheels came back when I was a kid. Okay, if you wore like four wheel skates. They yelled anti-gay slurs at you. <laughs> like that was how how bad it was. Like it, you, like only rollerblades were cool, which is so stupid. I like roller skates better. I think they're easier. <laughs> um, I don't own a pair of either. Mm-hmm. But one of my good friends is a rollerblader. He likes roller hockey. Uh, so I don't know. I don't want the Proud Boys to steal him. That's well, yeah. Point. Well, that's the thing. He plays hockey, so like that makes sense to to own a pair of rollerblades. I disassembled mine in college to make a dolly. If that tells you anything, <laughs> <laughs> those wheels used to be expensive. Yeah, well, you know, they were put to good use for a while. What do you want to talk about with the film? Do we do we want to get to the ending? Or yeah, yeah. That? I mean, I feel like this is this is something you just sort of talk about in generalize right like you know pick out moments and we don't have to go beat for beat i think we pretty much explained the movie you know like everyone's seen a version of this to some degree if you're gonna watch it pay attention to like the crazy politics pay attention to sort of how you know oppression it feels and and that's another thing too is like this i ran into this watching rewatching machete with uh with the joes over there for one of their laps it's like we're watching that and you know that was made i think early 20 something or late like 20 2009 or something like that 2008 2009 or something and we're watching it going like holy shit like this talks this talks to today like this is trump's america and it's like no dummy like this is just it's made by robert rodriguez like he know like this is what he goes through you know it's just like you're a privileged white boy watching machete in 2021 just realizing like the plight (laughs) of these people you know as before you're watching it as exploitation and now it really like is actually saying something which all good exploitation should uh and maybe that's what this is maybe that's my point you know what i'm saying like ultimately this is like a pretty weird exploitation film yeah i mean i'm with it i'm with it the ending was like the most confusing part to me though in terms of like what actually was going on Mm -hmm. big shootout someone double crosses someone then someone double crosses someone again i'm not entirely sure i thought it was a cool ending Mm -hmm. yeah so the cops are dirty cops and they double cross Patricia Arquette and then real cops immediately come in and blow them away, I think maybe, or arrest them mm-hmm. or something. And then Corey is put in charge of making the mist and he beats up Jacob and then Jacob gets blown away by machine guns. Oh, the dude takes his brother hostage for a minute. Griffin! Come here, Griffin. Come here, it's okay. Come visit with Milty and me. Must be something you want to talk about, huh? No deals. Fuck that. All right, fan out. Can you explain all this? A little error in judgment, perhaps? It's disappointing. Very disappointing. First, my parents, now you. I think I'm psychologically damaged. I trusted you, Griffin. I thought you understood my vision. What day of the rope? Sterilizing everybody? Oh, it's, it's brilliant. Hurry up and give him what he wants. Or what do you want? Give us the drugs, dumb dumb. You wouldn't want to be the only one left in your family, would you, Griffin? <laughs> Give him the mist. 
What's it gonna be, gentlemen? No deals. Don't listen to him! Come on, Griff, hurry it up! What are you waiting for? Get me out of here! You gotta help me, Griff! Don't just stand there and talk about it! This Lamo's out of his mind! Shut up. <gasps> and yes. that results in like a rollerblade chase through the factory. And then it's I a think cool a, rollerblade chase. Yeah, and then I think a shootout uh, also, if I'm not mistaken. Well, all I know is that Corey can kill the bad guy in the end, and he decides not to because that's beneath him. Yeah, and then he, he, and he doesn't, and they kind of allude to the fact that there might be a sequel, <laughs> even though there Holy wasn't. Holy crap, that's, that's the most messed up thing, is uh, at the end, Corey and his whole crew, so what was his name, Punching Bag or Speed Bag? Yes, speed bag. And by the way, you mentioned it before. There's a, that initiation scene, which is scary, where he's got to beat him up, and he doesn't even realize it's him. But then he stands, he stands up to him. Uh, the guys there a little bit, at least. Yeah, yeah. And when they're cleaning out that other zone, he lets a bunch of them like slip through the fence and everything. Yeah. So like, even though he's undercover and he has to do bad things, he's finding little places to show his true colors. There was never a moment where I thought he was going to 100% cross over. You know what I mean? Like, Right, right. So do you feel like, before uh, we get to like how the it actually ends, do you feel like he had his Brian and Dom moment? <laughs> now that you mention it, um, <laughs> absolutely. Like, you know, he didn't let him get away. It's not a true Dom moment or anything. Yeah, like, yeah, you not know, to that level. But absolutely, doesn't kill, you know, I guess what was his best friend when he was eight years old. And I mean, that's the craziest thing. It's like this guy treats Corey like they're, well, they are blood brothers, but like he treats that like it means more than anything in the world. And to Corey, he's just like some kid he lived next door to when they were eight. You know, <laughs> like it's just wild in each other's minds, like the difference of their relationship, like, you know, the value of, of their relationship and everything. So that by the end, you know, at least for the king of the roller boys, like he feels truly betrayed. Uh, Gary Lee, like he he is, uh, you know, it's ride or die for him, right? Basically, when it comes down to it, and uh, mm-hmm. he he lunges with that knife at the end, but Corey's too smart and cold cocks him with the pistol. And then when he ends up in prison, we find out he's running the fucking show anyway. Yeah, like he's uh fucking. You know, running shit from jail. He's doing the spray paint on the walls. He's got, like, his accountant in his cell with him. He's like, yeah, send everything to the northeast, the northeast, ah, the northwest, right? He's like, send everything to Oregon or something. And he's like, why there? He's like, because that's where he's going. And then he, like, cut back to Corey in the uh, RV, and he's like, let's go to Oregon or some shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we'll be safe there. Like, okay, that's random. (laughs) I mean, they should have, like, was Oregon, I mean, it should have been, like, Seattle. Like, let's go, <laughs> let's go or, there. Uh, I would imagine trying to get to Canada or Mexico would be probably better off at this point. Probably Canada, yeah, because they mentioned Mexico's borders kind of jacked with everybody trying to cross. It's crazy. It's crazy. Uh, <laughs> but again, it's, it's. I love how they're building for a sequel that never came to be. I mean, the sequel is Point Break. That's the spiritual sequel. But like, I <laughs> wish after that these writers were like, I wish this was in the time of today where like, this would have been a great miniseries or like a show. Of, I mean, you got to get rid of the, maybe get rid of the rollerblades and maybe change that like. Maybe they're on hoverboards now, or so I don't know, or maybe nothing. But like, just this dystopian future run by teens in a bankrupt America, and like all this whole sort of like the nationalist bent, and like you know the rise of that again in the wastelands and 
the the rebellion and the revolts and like I would I would definitely watch like this type of thing. It doesn't have to be Roller Boys. It doesn't have to be Corey. I just liked like sort of the messed up politics of this movie. <laughs> it was just really unexpected. I didn't catch any of it, any of it when I was a little kid. So who, <laughs> so Brian, who is this movie for? <laughs> Hey, if you want to get right into it, who's I mean, the movie for? Soon enough, soon enough. <laughs> I have no idea. Honestly, I have no idea who this movie is for, right? It's not for kids. It's too violent for kids. Yeah, it's not for anyone under 13. Like, this is like a PG 13 R in the middle there, you know? You rent this with your girlfriend, maybe? If you're in high school, you have a high school girlfriend. Like, you know, Corey and Patricia Arquette, like, you pretend you're them as you're watching it. <laughs> I'll add another question quickly because you made me think of this. If Corey Feldman had to be in this movie, who would he be? Oh, dude, he should have been Gary Lee. That would have been epic. <laughs> that would have been epic. I mean, could you imagine if they bleached his hair blonde too? Gave him like blue eye contacts? He would look so freakish. <laughs> that would have been cool, actually. <laughs> okay. Most likely to succeed. Who won the movie? Well, it's hard. I mean, it's hard to say. Is Did Griffin win or did he just create mm-hmm. a bigger problem down the line? Even though he lost, I'm going to say Gary Lee won. I think, he's, yeah. He's still running shit from prison, and I think yeah. his worldview is going to win out. That's, I hope not, but... Right, uh. but but that's like if Nino Brown was never shot, you know? He was just going to run shit from from his cell, you know? It feels like the wire... Didn't that happen on The Wire at some point? Where, like... <laughs> Why? Even, you know, there's that famous scene in Goodfellas where they're running shit from uh, the cell. Yeah, or, or uh, I'm thinking of My Blue Heaven, you know? Where, ah, yeah. <laughs> where he gets, like, an embroidered pillow and everything. <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, Gary Lee. Oh, wow. Scary, scary. Wooderson Award. Is there a character here who you would have liked to see more of? Um, Probably Speedbagger. You know, I think, like, it would have been cool to see you know, more of him somehow in here try and, like, be... Maybe if he was, like, you know, running some kind of makeshift school at his junkyard or something like that. I don't know. Or, or like, trying... Or if he just was more of that sort of figure in their lives like because he doesn't even seem like a father figure they're just kind of crashing there and i wish it was more like this sort of adoptive blended family of some kind like even if we come to find out that the that Corey and the brother aren't even really related on some level or something like that could have been interesting too i would have liked to see more of that i would have liked to see why they called him speed bagger i mean he was turned into a speed bag in this movie which was messed up unfortunately yeah that scene is so dark like so dark how hard it proves the thesis of the film though you know like that is the movie that entire scene right there i'm with it Long oh, Duck did, Dong Award. Wait, real Sorry. quick. Uh, I, is this the second time Corey lived in a trailer in a junkyard? Uh, Lucas. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, you're right. Yes. <laughs> second time he's lived in the trailer in a junkyard. Long Duck Dong Award. Is there a character whose omission would make the film better? Um, hmm. Hard to say. Uh, there aren't really that many people here. I guess you. what you could do, though, is drop the whole dirty cop kind of extra storyline like that that's is... who i wrote down like why why it doesn't like i didn't even care about these guys you know what i mean I'm like oh he's betrayed it was like at this point it's like what and they, they instantly they're killed so it doesn't matter i i actually quite liked the way the police station was portrayed at a very soylent green sort of vibe going on where they're just <laughs> overrun with shit that like 
yeah, it's just craziness and stuff. And he already has the relationship with like the sergeant or whatever. Like that's enough cops in this movie. You don't need the dirty dudes like running around as well. Yeah, yeah, unnecessary. I agree with that. This movie's pretty. For all the racism in it, the good guys aren't racist. Racism is portrayed as really bad. So it's very uh, it's not problematic in that sense. You yeah, know I mean? yeah. It's it's actually like more of like a message movie. You know, like it's almost more of like. This is why racism racism is bad. You know, it almost is explaining it to a certain generation that doesn't have, like, the attention span to maybe read about it. This should run on MTV, you know, in increments between, you know, uh, music videos, right? So, like, like, as PSAs or something. Like, that's what it ultimately comes down. It feels like a huge public service announcement. <laughs> Where it's like, let's get Corey and rollerblades and rock music and Patricia Arquette and sex and, and drugs and like say no to drugs and racism's bad. And it's like, <laughs> you know, I could just be in, I feel like I'm in that boardroom as we speak. Did but, you but, see? But good for them because I like this. It's very entertaining. Yeah, I agree. Um, did you uh catch also how like anti-Polish they were in this film? Oh, okay. there's a lot of. Okay, but I think I think that that was picking on sort of wasn't that also just like an anti-American sort of like might have you know what I'm saying like they no, were, no 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 I wasn't saying like yeah yeah of course the bad guys were anti-Polish not like the filmmakers yeah 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 there was like four or five Polish jokes and Polish slurs I'm like oh they picked on them. Pretty specifically here. Somehow, and I don't know how or when, but there were, like, a slew of Polish jokes growing up that, like, you know, I don't know why they necessarily needed to be framed as Polish jokes. Like, they could have been any, any, they didn't need to be a nationality at all or whatever. But, like, that was a weird, I noticed that growing up. Like, I always wondered about that. And then I found out when I was older, everyone was just being racist to me. I mean, I'm not Polish, but they're like, you want to hear the Polish joke? And it's like, uh, huh? <laughs> it's like, don't you have a knock-knock joke? I'm six. <laughs> Cameron Fry Award. This is tough because they're not really in high school. So did anyone look too old to be a high schooler? I think we have to just put an N.A. here. because Yeah, I mean, does anyone look too old to be a rollerblader? I, I would like to argue that Bango seems a bit, like, too old to blade it. I'm not even sure he's on blades in a couple scenes, you know? He might be running or, like, just standing still. <laughs> it's possible, yeah. I mean, we'll say Bango, just to give an answer. Okay, so fun part every week. Twice a week these days. <laughs> we, we grade the film. We give it the old report card grade from A to F. But we got we to use a cheat sheet a little bit. We got to see what other people have thought of this film. So Rotten Tomatoes, another N.A. from the critics. Not enough critics rated wow. this film. Wow. Come on, Richard Roper. Get on it. <laughs> Audience, 64%. They so like not it. terrible. They like it. A lot higher than some other Corey films we've talked about. <laughs> Letterboxd, the film nerds, they weren't the biggest fans. 2.8 out of 5 over there on the old letterbox. All right, all right. But we don't care about that. We don't Hell care. No. Hell no. We're going to grade our own on our own system here. Prayer of the Roller Boys. What grade does it get, Mike? Well, this is going to be crazy because I gave the same grade to Double O Kid, which I realized in retrospect I probably should have just given that movie a C or something like that. But I was going to, but you guys were like so bullish. But anyway, sorry. Uh, B, you know, I give this one a B plus. I can't give it a B because that would be less than Double O Kid, and I truly believe that this movie 
like earns its B plus. Like it's it's fun. It's dated. Like the '90s is written all over it, but it's like campy and fun that way. Like I really feel like the filmmakers were in sync with each other as far as like they knew what they were doing and what they wanted to make. You know what I mean? Like this doesn't feel like a mess. Like this feels like calculated in weird ways that I don't fully understand, but the filmmakers understand it and what you're left with works on on like almost every level, you know, except I just can't get my head around why. Like why they would decide to like mash up their politics with this concept like with this like where did the rollerblades come from like it just feels like at the end of the day like they they gave their script to the studio and the studio came back with one note and said where are the rollerblades and they're like no great like if we ever want to get a movie made in this you know town or whatever like we better make you know good on it and put some rollerblades in it so we get to go on and do you know point break one day so if this is what it takes to get to point break one day then hell yeah you know b plus oh i'm sure when the studios were like hey you want to make a surfing movie what else have you done oh we made this rollerblading movie eh, okay cool <laughs> <laughs> yeah so b plus i'm gonna give it a b again yeah. my my double o kid rating kind of does influence this but it's a solid b this movie it was a good movie it was like a fun movie violent movie but a good movie like i think kind of a little ahead of its time and kind of a i don't know underappreciated it shouldn't be free on youtube because no one cares enough to like yeah. get the rights right that's the craziest thing is like this should this should be like this should be a nice dvd i mean there never, never will be and i'm sure there's vhs copies out there in the wild because that's how it was released i'm sure but this should not only be available on YouTube. I'm just so grateful it's like a nice, clean, pristine copy that's up there. So, yeah, you know, put out. A, someone grab this vinegar syndrome. Is that one of the? Yeah. Is that one of the labels or, or Blue Underground or somebody like grab the Shout Factory? I mean. Yeah, vinegar not... <laughs> syndrome did the new uh, version of Rad, so I think they do a great okay. job of like Ultra 4K. This one. Nice. Sleeping bag, Mike. What does your prayer of the roller boys sleeping bag look like? Uh, well, it's definitely like a long white thing, like their trench coats, and it's got that rad sort of design on it, I guess, which isn't, it's not quite an iron cross, and then there's like a dragon sort of like. Yeah, yeah, they have a dragon around it. <laughs> like, what is that? Part of the effectiveness of like the Nazi propaganda was how simple like the swastika was again i'm not in support of it obviously this is the opposite direction yes. like oh our logo is going to be a really elaborate dragon it's like no one can like, draw that <laughs> like, and not an iron cross but like you know like a catholic one with points and stuff and it's like okay uh, you got sort of like your imagery screwed up it looks like they wandered into the last tattoo shop on earth <laughs> so that's your sleeping bag yeah yeah i'll go with that i got i got my my roller boy sleeping bag. Ooh, Good for me. To, I don't know what to go with here. I don't want to go ride the fascist path like you with the sleeping bag, but you know what? Mine's going to look like Patricia Arquette's cowboy outfit. Nice. Okay. Cowgirl <laughs> outfit. Yeah. Cowgirl outfit. Yes. Cow yeah, because she's wearing whatever they doc sent Marty into the Old West wearing. Like, it's that, <laughs> like, kind of get up. <laughs> All right, Mike. I hope you're prepared to do this again. Oh, I am ready. We're going to the magical blockbuster that exists in space that defies time and logic. The blockbuster that has every film 
ever made up until this date right now, right this second. We're walking up. We're walking with that copy of Prayer, Prayer of the Roller Boys. Even though it's available on YouTube, we have a hard copy in our hand. And we see a sign that says, Rent Two Movies Got One Free. And I say, Mike, go to the back. I'll save our place in line. Get two other movies for our Prayer of the Roller Boys slumber party. Mm. What are those two other movies? Wow. So I am ready. I thought about this this afternoon. Came up with a bunch of picks. Whittled it down to two Ooh. really good ones that I think are going to work. Coming in first. This movie was huge in my childhood growing up. This was this felt like it was on every day on HBO. Very roller skate heavy. Influ- very much like... I guess the bones of this movie are where sort of like the roller boys like crawled out of, you know, it's like the grave of this movie. Um, 1986 Solar Babies. Are you aware? Solar. Are you aware? I am not. Okay. So Lost Boys own Jamie Gertz, right? She's in that. Also Jason Patrick, Lucas Haas. Oh, wow. Um, it's in sort of like a post-apocalyptic future where there's no water and kids are in like these orphanage type places and a like it's been a while since I've seen it but like a an alien sort of like energy source comes to these kids and they have to protect it and then they go on the run and eventually they find like an oasis and they come back and they use their skate powers and I think they're like a team it's like like solar ball or something is the name of the game and they're the solar babies and so there's like a circuit i guess and they come back and they use their sports powers to defeat the authoritarian figures and you know protectorate i think is what the, it says they are called the protectorate uh anyway it's a wild sort of um confusing almost like a tone poem of a movie i would say where it's just like emotional and um kind of fantastical and whimsical and all that kind of stuff. Wow, I never heard of it. I'm looking it up now. Looks interesting. Love it. Definitely fits in with the prayer of the roller boys. What's your second pick? Okay. So my second pick, I wanted to go with some more modern young adult type of futuristic stuff. Like there's a lot out there. There's like the Divergent series and everything. There's the Maze Runner series, you know, there's the Hunger Game series. Um, then there's this movie based on a young adult novel that's been delayed for a while and it finally came out this year and it's not that bad it's actually pretty interesting it's pretty cool it's called chaos walking all right it's directed by doug lyman well so we know him a lot from like cruise club it's got daisy ridley and tom holland and none other than mads mickelson himself Ooh, love it. So this is a really strange movie. I don't know why it's been sort of on the shelf for like three or four years, but like this was supposed to come out, I think, between Spider-Man movies. Like it's that old. Like this was going to be out before the last Star Wars movie, I think. Like that's the story on it. Um, And Daisy Ridley is like part of this expedition from Earth and lands on this planet where it's been previously colonized by humans, but all the women are gone and all the men you can like see.
see their thoughts. There's like a virus where like everyone can read everyone else's mind. And so she lands on this planet and no one can read her mind and knows what she's saying, but she can see everybody's thoughts and hear them. And they kind of like float around you like a little cloud or something. And I thought this was going to be really bad and it turned out to be pretty good. And and I ended up liking it. Now they could have gone a little further with like the mind powers and things like I, but that's that kind of thing. Like I started getting invested in thinking like, Oh, they could have beefed this up and like, it would have been excellent. But as it stands, like, I think it's, it's pretty good. I'm not sure if they're supposed to be teenagers, but it's definitely like that vibe of like, you know, young adult, teen sci-fi sort of um sort of fiction kind of stuff great love it love those picks i hadn't heard of either of them hadn't heard of this movie until you brought it up so overall great job and uh wow the the places we're going with (laughs) with this two Corey series we're doing it's it's insane it's insane Uh, it's unbelievable like if you told me you know that we would have gotten into this type of conversation you know tonight with this movie, that this movie would have sparked it, like I would have called you crazy, yeah, and and that would have been the end of it. But here we were, here we are together at the end. Oof. So we did two Corey Hames, as you alluded to, Mike. We're gonna go into some early Feldman territory soon. Can't wait for that. But this has been a pleasure. I don't know if you still want to plug things, but go ahead. <laughs> You've been it. on so much lately. <laughs> I'll go real quick. Third Time's a Charm, the third of every month, where I take a look at the third installment in a franchise. Brian's been on a bunch as my unofficial co-host. And then I got to plug this for Dan, because this is our new show. So me and Dan Cologne, the last Friday of every month, our show, The Monsters That Made Us. We are going back to watch monster movies from the 30s, starting with the Universal Monster Movies. Uh, one a month, last Friday of every month, Monsters That Made Us. Cageclub.me. Well, we'll have Dan Cologne on in this Corey lap, too, so I'm sure he, he can relieve you from promoting it um, <laughs> when he's on. But regardless, you know, great show. So many great shows on the Cage Club Podcast Network. And, Mike, it's been a pleasure, and uh, I'll talk to you uh, soon again about Corey's. Yeah, see you on the Rollerblade course streets see see on the streets and see you on the streets in some rollerblades (laughs) every every single episode with mike manzi is a pleasure and i really really thank him more than anything for doing this to Corey's lap one with me and he mentioned it i mentioned it dan cologne is going to be here his co-host on the monsters that made us we are talking a horror movie we're talking an early Corey feldman movie he's not a teenager but everyone else in the movie is dan really wanted to talk about this one and i was like let's do it people tell me it's good it's friday the 13th the final chapter before you have felt the terror, known the madness, lived the horror. But this is the one you've been screaming for. 
Friday, the 13th, the final chapter. Jason is back. He moves like a shadow. Dark and silent. Sorry, you change your mind? He never utters a word. He doesn't even seem to breathe. Where the hell's the car scroll? He simply, mindlessly, <laughs> mercilessly, <laughs> kills. But now, Jason's reign of terror is over. Friday the 13th, the final chapter. Jason's unlucky day. And if you know anything about these movies, you can imagine or you can infer that this is not the actual final chapter, but they thought it was at the time. Anyway, little baby Corey Feldman is in it, so we're going to talk about it, and that's your homework to watch Friday the 13th, the final chapter. Thank you so much for listening today. Thank you for listening to my colleague Brian Rodriguez and High School Movie News, and of course, Mike Manzi, and all the great things he has to offer every week on our Two Corys fiasco. Remember one more thing, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop to look around once in a while, you could miss it. I'll leave you with another song off this soundtrack. This band I'm a little bit more familiar with. It is Nine Inch Nails, Head Like a Hole. See you Friday. Later, dudes. Go.